Yeah, we're going to get into it. We're in a series this week uh, and this month called This Is Us. Yes, based on the show. And uh, this morning we're talking about legacy. Uh, so uh, let me just pray and we're going to get into it even though I just prayed. But Father, thanks for your word. Pray that uh, this morning that as your word is explained, your voice would be heard in our lives. Um, God, give us your grace uh, to, to be present fully in these moments together. Um, yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This Is Us is a show that's just all about legacy. If you've watched This Is Us, I mean, you've, toned, you've, you've zeroed in on that right away. This Is Us is all about one family kind of in multiple life stages. And so you see the kids as their babies. You see the kids as their like little elementary schoolers. Uh, you see them as adults. This week, if you're watching This Is Us, new timeline, right? New little nugget of like space in their lives, which was so exciting. Um, but This Is Us is all about legacy. It's all about small moments in the past repeated in the present. Um, Eugene O'Neill wisely said uh, that there is no present or future. There is just the past happening over and over again now. There is no future. There is no present. There's just the past happening over and over again now. And that's kind of what we see in This Is Us. Almost the same scenarios played out over and over again. A moment from their past played out in the present. And so here, take a look at this moment from the Pearsons family's past. Dad has a key. Uh, who is it? It's Pilgrim Rick. Um, Pilgrim Rick, we're, we're okay, oh, actually. Yeah, we're fine, Pilgrim Rick. I'm coming in. Ah, check. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Jack. Here's Pilgrim Rick. Do you kids know about the next battle? Huh? 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 your little Thanksgiving story. Tonight on the itinerary of the Pinewood Lodge, a movie and an indoor picnic. Yes. Police Academy 3? Yeah. You sure that's appropriate? Oh, it's in a better nine and a half weeks. So. <gasps> Police Academy 3, guys! Yeah. So, we are going to skewer our hot dogs, and then we're going to roast them on an open furnace flame. And then once they get all toasty and warm, we're going to wrap it in cheese and then roll it in crushed up crackers. Thanksgiving cheese dogs. Get a stick, come on. All right, go. Oh, yes. I want a stick. You go, Pilgrim Rick. Okay, who's up first? Me. Yeah. So here's, here's the Pearson family stranded, stranded at the Pinewood Lodge in the middle of nowhere. And this Thanksgiving that they spend together uh, eating hot dogs that they roast like on a furnace, which I'm not entirely sure is safe. Um, and, uh, and wrapped in American cheese and rolled in saltine crackers, this becomes a, a, a profound moment for the Pearson family for the rest of their lives. 
Uh, if you recall back when we were in Nehemiah, those who, of you who are with us, which is what's really cool as a church is there's a lot of you are like, I don't even remember that. Well, because you weren't here, that's okay. Uh, but we talked about the power of the past, and this sermon has some similar notes to it. The power of the past in Nehemiah, we discover, the power of the past is in how it makes us faithful today. And what we watch about the, the, the Pearsons' past is how it shapes their daily lives in the present. And, and so when we start to think about legacy, the legacy that the Pearson family is living in, about the stories we tell ourselves, uh, my question for you this morning, my question for you is this, what legacy shapes you? What story is defining you? Now, the answer to that question can be really good, really bad. It could be that you have an amazing family that you love, that has shaped you and influenced you in profound ways, that when your mom calls, when your dad calls, when your sibling calls, you guys are thick as thieves, you're tight. It could be, like the rest of us, not very much like that. If you are that, let us know, because evidently we can make money making TV shows about your family memories, you know what I mean? But um, many of us, the legacies that shape us, there's good moments, sure, but there's a lot of crap in there too. There's a lot of addiction, there's a lot of disappointment, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of wounds, there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of disappointment. Those stories of our mistakes and our failures and the things that wound us very often shape us profoundly. And no matter how good or how bad the story is that's shaping you, no matter how warm it makes you feel or how tight it makes your stomach, what if I told you this morning that Jesus has a different legacy in mind for you? What if I told you that for those of you that have stepped across the line of faith, that whether or not you wanted it to, you were grafted into a larger story, a larger legacy that you now have the opportunity to pass on to others? That the stories that we define ourselves with will be wrapped up into that story, even better defined by that legacy, and ultimately renew us. That is what we're talking about this morning, is the legacy of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's a legacy that we read all about in Psalm chapter 78. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab and go to Psalm 78. If you don't have a Bible, there's blue paperback ones under the seats. They're like blue and they have water on it. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's for you. If you want to grab your phone, Google Psalm 78. Psalm 78, we're going to be in verses, uh, seven through four, verses 4 through 7, and actually if you have one of those paperback Bibles, that is found on page 315, 350, page 350, page 350, that's where the Psalms are. And the text uh, says this in verse 4, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob and he gave his commands to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying all of his commands. The legacy that God gives you when you claim the name of Jesus, the legacy that you become part of, is this legacy of glorious miracles and mighty wonders, of his, of his power, of his might. This is the legacy that you have been given. And in fact, 
the, the Psalm 78 is really all about legacy. It's all about past. And so when Israel would sing this hymn in church, that's what Israel did with the Psalms. This was their song book. Um, it was also their prayer book. When they prayed the Psalms or sang them, they would be reciting their history. They would be uh, reciting this story of them. So if you look in verse 13, we read about that glory and power. It says, he divided the sea and led them through, making the water stand up like walls. And in the daytime, he led them by a cloud and all night by a pillar of fire. He split open the rocks in the wilderness to give them water as from a gushing spring. He made streams pour forth from the rock, making the waters flow down like a river. I mean, so Israel would sing this psalm, they would pray this prayer, and as they did, they would continually, over and over again, recite this part of the history that we know as the Exodus, when God got them free of slavery and led them into the wilderness, and in the wilderness provided to them, your legacy, my legacy, as part of the people of Jesus, is a legacy of God's provision, it is a legacy of God's supply, when there was nothing that God gave them something, and it's a legacy of God makes a way when there is no way. It's a legacy that God makes a way when there is no way, that, that when the waters were roaring up on the seashore and, and Egyptian chariots were going to push them straight into the water, that God split the water so they could walk right through. The legacy you and I have is our, our, our Pilgrim Rick moments are these that God provides, that God delivers, that God sets free. In fact, he does other things. Later on in the text, uh, in verses 38 and 39, it says, Yet he was merciful and forgave their sins and did not destroy them. Many times he held back his anger and did not unleash his fury, for he remembered that they were merely mortal gone like a breath of wind that never returns. That little verse at the end, isn't that fascinating? God remembered that they were merely mortal, gone like a breath in the wind. I mean, sometimes we have this feeling of, does God even ever understand us? The answer is yes. And in fact, the answer is yes, such that when we are in the midst of our failure and in the midst of our sin and in the midst of our mistakes, God does not lead with anger. God does not lead with wrath. God leads with his kindness. The text says he was merciful and forgave their sins and did not destroy them all. I mean, the, the stuff that hangs at the back of your head, the story that you let define you about the mistakes that you've made, about the divorce, the broken marriage, the broken relationship, the addiction to this, the, the, the every little bit of our brokenness, God does not look on that with anything but but compassion. Scripture says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Our legacy is not of an angry God who is pissed at you, regardless of what you kind of see or have perceived about the church. Our legacy is about a God who chooses mercy over judgment, and that legacy becomes embodied in the person of Jesus, who makes a way through sin and death when there is no other way, who is the face of God's loving kindness who is more than just water from a rock. He is springs of everlasting life that bubble up in us that we never go thirsty again. He takes on his shoulders the wrath of God so that God's affection toward us is all that there is. This is our legacy. This is the legacy of which the psalm says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. Listen, guys, legacies are meant to be lived. And this sermon is vital because right now as a community, we are defining our legacy. And so what will our legacy be 5, 10, 15 years from now is entirely based on what us following what this psalm says. And what does this psalm tell us to do? It says we will tell the next generation. 
we will tell the next generation. The most repeated phrase in this little section of the Psalms has to do with our words. It says, we will tell the next generation. It says, we won't hide it, we will tell it. As if to say there are two options. Either you are hiding it or you're talking about it. Now, if you know me, if you're friends with me, you know this. If I'm thinking about it, I'm talking about it. Okay, I can get up in front of a group of 60 or 600 and not bat an eye, but many people, in fact most, rate like fear of public speaking higher than like being smushed to death by a rock, right? And so we start talking about we will tell and that feels really awkward. And so what we do is we run to this quote that we've heard somewhere where, you know, know, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times whenever necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times whenever necessary, use words. Here's the thing. St. Francis never said that. St. Francis started an order of preachers. So he wouldn't start an order of preachers, but then say, but be very quiet. No. He was... uh, started a new movement of preaching in the Middle Ages of which, like, we are inheritors now. No, that the, the way that we do this is not preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words, which really means I'm never going to use words and use that quote to validate. No, we actually have to say something. And it's not we pay the staff to say something or we go to school to learn how to say something. It's every single one of us in the ordinariness of our lives talking about the transformation that we have experienced in the grace of Jesus. It's us talking about it, or simply in the words of Paul, he says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells? Do you see there's a little like logic to this? It goes backwards. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? The truth of the matter is you have been sent. Jesus says to the Father, as you have sent me, so I am sending them. Not a special class of Christians, but all of us are sent into the world in mission with Jesus to tell the glorious works of the Lord that we would not hide them. To share the legacy We want to do this, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words, but the people who are most transformed by the gospel come to a clear realization that words are the only way to express it. There's a story in John chapter 4 about a woman who had been in relationship after relationship after relationship, and she just kept coming up broken. No one could satisfy her. And so Jesus meets her and points that out and says, you've had like five husbands. The man you're living with right now uh, isn't even your husband, and it's because you're thirsty. And so he offers her living water so that she would never go thirsty again. She experiences profound transformation, and then she just gets really quiet about it and votes Republican for the rest of her life. No. She subscribes to Christian magazines and listens to K-Love. No. What she does is she runs back to the village and she says, come and see a man who told me about everything I ever did. She says, come and see a man who told me about everything I ever did. And when, and when she does that, the whole village puts their faith in Christ. She's actually a saint in the Orthodox tradition. I just found that out. So if you want to appeal to a saint, appeal to this woman who, upon experiencing transformation, said, I will not hide these things. I will go and I will tell somebody about it. The legacy is, my marriage was on the rocks, but God saved it. The legacy is, I ran after sexual fulfillment and never found it, but God gave me a second chance. The legacy is, I was lonely and isolated without community and I found family. The legacy is, I was totally purposeless and felt like a constant failure. And then God drafted me into this thing and said, I have sent you, so I am sending them. God did this 
And now I have to tell about it. Look at the glorious deeds of the Lord. The legacy is something that we talk about. And that's how we live it. And frankly, parents are the all-star quarterback in this football game. By the way, Lakeview High School 31, Gerard High School 33. Harry, we can talk about this later, but I'm very upset about this. So, um, uh, uh, and also, be impressed that I knew that, right? Because um, I, I don't normally, but Lakeview is no longer in like the, 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 the that, the playoffs. See, you can't <laughs> talk for too long and I get messed up. Um, Parents are the all-star quarterback in this game, which is why we will tell these things to the next generation. We will tell these things to our children. The reality is going to church is great and vital and important, but what a parent says to their kids is the number one most formative thing about them. Now, this is really important because a lot of us are already parents or just becoming parents. And so we have to be thinking about what legacy am I building into my kids spiritually, and I can't outsource that to regen for an hour a week. I can't outsource that to a couple other Christian things an hour a week. What I say in my home will be the most formative thing in my child's life. Youth pastors are good, pastors are good, mentors are good, but the number one predictor, by the way, if you didn't know this, my master's degree is in emerging adult spirituality, so um, the number one predictor for young adulthood spiritual, spiritual practice is that of the parents or the people who raised them. The number two is a mentor. The number two is a mentor, but number one is parents. Parents are the all-stars on this, and parents, if that feels like something you are totally ill-equipped for, you're in the right place. We have, uh, at... at at the other campus, our, one of our pastors on staff, uh, Ken, who does a lot of care for us, um, miraculously raised in the ministry two boys that love Jesus. And so we were out to dinner with him and his wife, Jean, and I said, what did you guys do to like make sure this happened, <laughs> right? How do we reproduce this? And, and Ken and Jean said, Ken and Jean said, well, I don't really know what we did. We mostly just prayed. Parents are at the front lines. And let me say this really quickly. Some of us, like I'm thinking in our community, have like come from this line of spiritual maturity and righteousness that is such a gift to pass on to others. Like Dan and Caitlin get to raise Luke um, with this profoundly deep well of knowing and loving Jesus because of what their parents built, what parent, their parents built into Kate and to Dan, and that's so profound and so powerful. Um, but some of us are first in this room are first generation Christians, and so like you're here on Sunday morning, and your whole family is like, could they just get here so we could have lunch? Do you know what I mean? You have in this moment, those of you that are having kids and about to have kids, like this moment that you have literally gives you the, the authority and the blessing and the sacred trust to absolutely change the trajectory of generations in your family. To change the trajectory of generations, to live out the gospel promise when Peter says, um, Peter says, for you have been redeemed by the futile ways of your forefathers. You get to teach and invest that in your kids. That's amazing. And I'm trying to build this foundation into us now as a church so that we're ready for this as this continues to happen more. Do you see what I'm doing? But not all of us are biological parents yet. Um, and so what do we do with that? A hundred percent of us, when this, this telling takes the shape of spiritual parenthood, right? So when we talk about that triangle sometimes, that up is our relationship with the Father, in is our relationship with those who know, and out is our relationship with those who do not yet know, 
think about it in terms of this relationship as in my up relationship with the father, I am called to be a son or a daughter, even though I act like slaves and orphans and am fearful a lot. In my in relationship, I am called to be brothers and sisters with you, but I often act like a cousin, right? Like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, no more, thank you very much, right? There's more intimacy required there. And then in that out relationship with those who do not yet know, we are called to be mothers and fathers. We are called to be spiritual mothers and fathers. Think about how Jesus said um, that spiritual life is a new birth. As spiritual mothers and fathers, even with people that are our peers, we are in the work of, uh, 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 of bringing about transformation. We are in the work of giving birth to new life, which is why Paul described his relationship with one of his churches. He said, I was like a nursing mother. I was like a nursing mother. I loved you so much. And in Galatians 4, Paul says um, that he was in the pains of childbirth for that church until Christ was fully developed in them. And man, there are people in my life right now, I just had lunch with somebody this week, and like I am in the pain, like I've never had experienced childbirth, and you know, you're not supposed to talk about that if you're a man, but here's what I know. I ache, Randy is looking at me like, what now? Um, uh, I, I ache, I ache profoundly for him to know Jesus. I ache profoundly for him to have Christ fully developed in his life. For some of you, I see what you're walking through, and I ache profoundly for Jesus to be made more present to you in your life. We're called to be mothers and fathers, whether biological or spiritual. And that's what's happening in this text. The next generation of Psalm 78, the next generation is not purely literal. It is also metaphorical. Like, I'm already thinking about, man, when I hit 40, we're going to need to have somebody in his mid-20s preaching. That's 11 years from now. But how do we be intentional as a church now that there's going to be things that we have to let go of for the next generation to come and know Jesus? This generation that God will raise up, how are we emotionally prepared for the next one? How are we prepared to bring about spiritual life not only in our biological kids, but also our our spiritual kids? How do we do that? We are called to tell. We are called to tell the way that we live a legacy the way that we pass a legacy on is in the words that we say to one another, the words that we say to our kids, the words that we say to one another's kids, the words that we say to those who do not yet know, the words that we tell about the glorious deeds of the Lord. But the question for us right now as a church in year three of regeneration, or maybe the beginning of year four, I guess, depending on how you count, but what is God's call for us? What is our legacy going to be? And could it look something something like this? Take a look at this clip. Mm. Wake up, baby. Mm. Let's take your day. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, it's too early, baby. Meet me in the kitchen in 10 minutes. Mm. Mm. <sighs> Wake up! Wake up, my darlings! Hey! Thanksgiving prep starts in nine minutes. Kitchen! Let's go! Wake up, Oaks! It's Thanksgiving. Meet me in the kitchen in eight minutes. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. If you be my bodyguard, I can be your lawn. Wake up, Kevin! Report to the kitchen in two minutes, seven minutes. Come on. I can call you daddy.
Yeah, no, it's good because it's time to get up anyway. There's my turkey team. Little turkey, medium turkey. You guys go up to the attic and bring down the Thanksgiving picnic blankets, please. On it! All right. Big. If you call me big turkey. Beautiful brown eyes. Mm-hmm, better. Would you be so kind as to hook up the VCR so we can watch the movie later, please? Yes. Give me a minute. OK. The question for us about our legacy is, is this. Is the story that we're telling with our lives now enough that generations from now they will leap out of their bed at 6.30 a.m.? Or will they just roll over and press the snooze? Is the story that we are telling as a church the kind of story that gets people leaping up out of bed at 6.30 in the morning? Oh, gosh. Or is it... Excuse me, technical difficulties. Is it the kind of story that makes people press snooze. Randall wakes up at 6.30 on Thanksgiving morning. He's making the food, but later that day, they'll watch Police Academy 3. They'll sit on indoor picnic blankets, uh, and they'll have on the table hot dogs covered in American cheese and saltine crackers. Is the legacy we're telling like that, or is it the kind of legacy where they'll just roll over and press snooze. We want to lead the kind of legacy church that gets people leaping from their beds. And that's what the psalm is talking about when it says that each new generation should set its hope anew on God. That each generation should set its hope anew on God. That setting hope anew on God is the kind of legacy that gets people up out of bed in the morning. It's the kind of legacy that gives us passion. It's kind of the legacy that gives us, that gives us excitement. And, and if I can explore a theme that we kind of started talking about a, a few weeks ago, um, you know, when Dan and Caitlin's son Luke was born, and then Paul and Melissa's Frankie, and then there's two babies next year, and then who knows, um, on we go. It, it occurred to me in the middle of that sermon that it, we're all wearing sweatpants, we're all having so much fun, we're all excited. I mean, what I love about Regen is I know so many of you like have walked into this place and like are like, I'm home. And when you say things like that, like I kind of jump up and down inside and then I go home and I jump up and down for real because that's the goal, right? And But here's the deal. The only thing that matters 15 years from now is not the sweatpants or the Thanksgiving dinners or the songs that we sang. What matters 15 years from now is if we are living a legacy of faithfulness that Luke finds compelling, that baby Byler will find compelling. That is, that's the story that we're trying to do. That's the aim of Psalm 78, that each generation would set its hope anew on God. Are we loving one another and caring for one another and on mission together in such a way that our faith is compelling? Or will our kids look at what we do 15 years from now as kind of this relic of what was? Will we be that person still wearing 80s clothes in a way that's not cool? Our goal is that when Luke is 15, he would set his hope anew on God on the basis of the compelling nature of our faith. Will he, wake up, will he wake up at 15 and find us inward and infighting and divided, or will he find us passionately pursuing Jesus? 
this is the kind of question we have to answer as a church is what legacy are we going to have? What stories are we telling with our lives right now that they find compelling? I want to take three minutes and tell you a little bit about the legacy that we feel like God is asking us to leave and then we're going to take communion and be out of here. Um, Part of the legacy that we have been building is that this is an authentic community, that you can just be who you are. Fancy clothes or no fancy clothes. Um, Spiritually or metaphorically too. But uh, part of the legacy that we have been building is that we really... One of the pieces that I see growing in our culture that I really like is there is this uh, divine anticipation when we walk in the room, like what is God going to do in this hour that we're together, which I think is pretty cool. I've never been in a church like that, so I don't think it's something that we're doing entirely. But one of the other legacies that we want to leave as a church is that we want to take the gospel seriously, which means taking the gospel to places where it is both good and news. The gospel literally means good news, and so we want to take the gospel to places that are both good and and news, right? To religious people, the gospel is not news anymore, and it's actually probably not good anymore either. So we want to find somebody that finds the news of the gospel good and and finds it news. And one of the things that God built into our heart early on as Regen is a real significant passion for walking alongside people in addiction and recovery. And uh, that comes primarily from the place that we recognize as a church that we all have an it, that everybody has an it, Okay, everybody has an addiction. It's just some are legal and some are not. My name is Kyle. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I am addicted to making everybody like me. I am addicted to the approval of people. That is my addiction. Some people are addicted to better things and worse things. Some of us are addicted to comfort and security or to money or to success or to finding the right relationship, to having a healthy and perfect family, to having a meaningful career. All of us have an addiction and here's what we know about Trumbull County is that Trumbull County is now number seven in the, in the state for addiction overdose. 44483 and 44485, even though technically if you wanted to know, we are in 44483. My house is, no, we're in 8-1 right now, but my house is in 8-3. It's like they handed a toddler a crayon and that's how they designed the zip codes, right? <laughs> that counts and this one is over here and I want that to be over there too. And, um, 44483 and 44485 are two of the three deadliest zip codes for overdose death. Two of the three. The other one is 44446, which is Niles. But we're in two of the three. Between Grace Campus and here, we're in two of them. Um, We are number seven. And here's what we also know about people in addiction and recovery is that that is a lonely road. Because work ends and everybody does what? They're going to go out and get a beer. You don't want to go do that if you're addicted. That you lose friends when you choose recovery. And and most importantly, what people in recovery have learned in our community is that churches do not want them there. We have a a member of our community is in recovery and she works at a restaurant. And she said, I was serving this table and all they could talk about was how disgusting addicts are. This was after they prayed for their food. Which aren't you kind of in that moment like, get off my team, right? Like, get off my team. You're not helping. And uh, so we've been processing this, this idea that people in recovery, and many of them are pissed at God for good reasons. Their life has certainly not turned out the way they wanted it to. And uh, they're not one step away from coming to church. They're eight. And so we want to go out on a limb and meet them at eight steps away. And so I'm about to tell you the fullness of the vision, which came to me not while praying and fasting, but while driving, which is so disappointing. Um, 
I want to be the other kind of leader. I look at my wife. She's in the car with me. I said, okay. I said, let's do this thing. We're going to rent out a local business, otherwise known as Nova Coffee Company, once a month after hours. And we're going to build a community that is friendly for and intentionally reaching out toward people in recovery. What we're going to do is we're going to blast social media. We're going to use the people in our community that are in recovery to get it out there. I know who I want in the room, and I listed eight people. And I said, and that's what we're going to do. And she said, well, what do we do when they're in the room? And I said, well, I don't know that yet. And uh, I still don't know that. But here's what I know is that something is like stirring up in us uh, to do something. And we've decided to call it after hours as leadership. And so we're going to rent Nova out once a month, and we're going to build an intentional community in Nova Coffee Company for people in recovery. And here's the deal. I don't care if they never set foot here, ever. That could just as easily, what happens there on whatever night of the week we choose, once a month, perhaps then to spin into weekly, whatever happens there could just as easily become for them what this is for us. So we're looking at somehow having like a quasi-third campus there or something, I don't know. But... All we know is that that is a community for whom the gospel is both good and news. And so um, this is where you come in. Obviously, please be praying about this because we're trying to figure it out. We're talking with the owners at Nova. We're talking with a whole bunch of other different stuff to make that happen. Um, and again, also trying to figure out what the heck we're going to talk about when we're in there. So if you have feedback for that, please let me know. Um, but the other thing is, frankly, and this is where we're going to be stepping up as a church into this again, is um, you know, every month we do one thing to interrupt the people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. After hours is going to be the one big thing for 2018. So we're going to do one big thing all next year. Um, and we're going to be inviting you to give over and above to that through November and December uh, so that we can fund that right out of the gate next year. And we're uh, finalizing budget numbers and what that could look like, but it's, it's not cheap, but it's not crazy. Um, and so we'll be sending out that out and the reconnect. And by the end of the year, I'd like us to see us raise, if you want to know the number, five grand to make that happen. So... Um, that's, that's the one big thing. The legacy I want us to leave as a church is not that, is not that we did really good music because anybody can do that and they don't have to be a church. Uh, not that we really liked each other, but I want that, but you don't have to be a church to do that. Like if we want to like each other, we could just be, go to like join the Lions or something. The Lions would probably like that because we'd make them very much younger. Um, we'd have to be called like the Cubs or something, right? The Lion Cubs. And... Uh, Okay, stop, because I could go down to a mental path. And, but the, what makes us unique as a church is we're here to tell people about Jesus. And uh, somebody on our team, when we were talking about after hours, said, like, are we qualified to walk through people in addiction and recovery? I said, oh, heck no. So we're going to need to get a professional in the room to help us with that. But I said, we are qualified to tell people about Jesus. We are qualified to be the people that said, let me show you about a man who did, told me everything I ever did. Will our legacy be, and this is where we're going to leave it, will our legacy be the kind of legacy that sends people years from now jumping out of their beds to, you can call me Al, that'd be nice, jumping out of their beds, or will they roll over and press the snooze? The answer depends on this, on these words. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and mighty wonders so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, so that each generation would set its hope anew on God. Father, we offer to you the story that we're writing as a church.
we offer to you the story that we're writing as families and couples. God, we pray that this legacy that we're building would be one that is worthy of you. That it would be worthy of what you've called us to do in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.